Africa Digest. Hello and welcome to Africa Digest on Channel Africa, where we give you news from an African perspective. My name is Spomele Lezondi. We are broadcasting to you from Johannesburg in South Africa, and you can find us on 9625 kHz. That is on the 31-meter band if you're in Southern Africa. I am with Amanda Machaka, Husani Matebula, and Mosibudi Makura. The top stories. A Liberian court clears the way for a run of presidential elections to be held. A wave of anger against the United States' decision to recognize Jerusalem as Israel's capital continues to spread. In economics, Canada's Fairfax Africa Investments abandons a plan to buy 23% of cement producer PPC for 146.34 million US dollars. And in sports, the last 16 draw of the UEFA Champions League provides some mouth-watering fixtures. Amanda Machaka has the news. Thank you, Spomelele. Good evening. The European Union Foreign Policy Chief Federica Mogherini has insisted that the bloc will not recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, as U.S. President Donald Trump did last week. The move was widely condemned by international leaders, but Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says Trump's decision would make peace possible. Mogherini was speaking in Brussels alongside Netanyahu. You know where uh, the European Union stands. We believe... Uh, that the only realistic solution to the conflict between Israel and Palestine is based on two states, with Jerusalem as the capital of both the state of Israel and the state of Palestine along the 67 line. This is our consolidated position, and we will uh, continue to respect the international consensus on Jerusalem until the final status of the holy city is resolved through direct negotiation between the parties. The authorities in Ivory Coast have announced plans to pay soldiers to leave the army. More than 4,000 troops are due to leave in the next four years. It's reported that the soldiers will receive $26,000 each. The BBC's Mary Harper reports. It pays to be a soldier in Ivory Coast. If you leave, that is. $26,000 is a significant sum in a country where many earn less than $1,000 a year. The Ivoirian army is troublesome. Not only is it bloated with unqualified personnel, it's also mutinous and deeply divided. Many soldiers are former rebels who fought in a series of civil conflicts. The authorities already paid large amounts of money as bonuses to help end recent army uprisings. At least five armed separatists and two soldiers have been killed and several people wounded in the Cameroon English-speaking southwestern town of Mamfi during an attack on a military post. The attack occurred after a special envoy of Nigeria's President Muhammadu Buhari assured his counterpart President Paul Bia that they want to work with Cameroon to get rid of terrorism on their frontiers. Cameroon has been complaining that armed separatists are using Nigerian territory as a training ground. Reports from Cameroon's capital Yaounde. Cameroon Communication Minister and Government Spokesman Isa Cheruma says hundreds of youths armed with guns, machetes, and spears 
attacked Cameroon's police unit in the English-speaking southwestern town of Mamfi, Cheruma says a policeman was killed and another wounded while dozens of the attackers incurred severe injuries. Kenya's opposition coalition has postponed plans for a swearing-in ceremony of leader Raila Odinga. The National Super Alliance had planned to hold Odinga's inauguration as president on Tuesday, two weeks after Uhuru Kenyatta was officially sworn in for a second term. Sarah Kimani reports from Nairobi. The decision to call off the inauguration follows wide consultations according to the party. Kenya's Attorney General last week warned the opposition that a swearing-in could amount to charges of treason against Odinga, which carries the death penalty. Odinga boycotted the October 26 repeat elections, accusing the Electoral Commission of bias. The coalition now hopes to use Western diplomats and church leaders to exert pressure on President Uhuru Kenyatta to agree to talks. Kenyatta has ever indicated that he is not ready to hold talks with the opposition. And finally, the deadline has been extended for South African President Jacob Zuma to explain why he should not be prosecuted for corruption. Head of National Prosecuting Authority Sean Abrams has given Zuma until January the 31st to file their representations. Zuma was meant to file their representations by November the 30th but requested an extension because of the complexity of the case and the unavailability of legal representatives. The Supreme Court of Appeal in Primfontein dismissed Zuma appeal of the High Court ruling declaring the National Prosecuting Authority's decision to drop the corruption charges against him irrational. Zuma faces 783 counts of corruption, money laundering and racketeering. Channel Africa News. Thank you very much, Amanda. It is info at channelafrica.co.za. Liberia's Supreme Court has cleared the way for the presidential run of election to go ahead, saying there was not enough evidence to support allegations of fraud in the electoral process. The second round votes between former football star George Ware and Vice President Joseph Boakai had been put on hold after the opposition Liberty Party alleged first round voting irregularities. But the court says the violations were not sufficient to overturn the vote's outcome. The delays caused by all the legal wrangling have ratcheted up the discussions, the tensions in the West African country, still recovering from decades of civil war that killed tens of thousands of people. Liberian journalist Joel Brooks has more from Monrovia. The Supreme Court is actually next uh, to go back to base and regularize her status. Uh, the reason why the Supreme Court is actually next to regularize her status, there was some kind of irregularities that raised eyebrows that made the, the opposition to file a complaint against Nick. So uh, the Supreme Court is also saying that the complaint filed by Liberty Party has no sufficient proof because uh, the evidence produced were not not real evidence. So uh, our Liberty Party were left in the cold. But then at the same time, the Supreme Court is acting next, which is the National Election Commission, to go and clean, clean out whatsoever like in at the, at the commission. The judge at the commission is the irregularities that, that have been discovered, and they, including the 
Total Road. But surprisingly today, sure. local papers carry the irregularity of voter fraud, where people register twice, twice, and even four times. Uh, so that shows that, yes, indeed, Ned went in the wrong, and then uh, it, it still has to go ahead to Queen A House. Now, one of the conditions that the court has given is that the National Electoral Commission needs to fully comply with the standards of publications of the voter register known as the final register role in accordance with the law. Was it the feeling of the court, Joel, that the register has not complied with the required standards? Well, I was in conversation with one of the judges and they uh, told me that uh, they are still looking forward to getting the results on next. So since the thing happened last Thursday, NET is yet to come out with any decision as regarding the runoff uh, run election. And uh, NET is yet to come out whether it has clean a house. People are still looking forward. Uh, just yesterday, which was Sunday, uh, some group of opposition political parties uh, came out yesterday with a press statement calling on the National Election Commission chair to resign. The reason is because he has he has created a lot of problems at the commission. So they are asking the, the the chairman, Jerome Kokoya, to resign. I called Jerome Kokoya this morning, but his phone rang endlessly, no result, no response. Has the Liberty Party accepted the ruling, Mr. Brooks? No, no, no. Liberty Party has not officially come out to say anything about the ruling. But from some of the executives I talked to last week, they are rejecting the result from the Supreme Court. But they, they, they have not said what they're going to do to that result. They have not said anything. In fact, the Liberty Party chairman, who is a councillor of uh, uh, Charles Bromskin, uh, trying to, uh, I'm told that he's out of the capital, so we don't know what what Liberty Party is going to do. The other political parties that joined Liberty Party recently, um, the ruling Unity Party has taken exception to the ruling of the Supreme Court. So that's what we're looking at right now. Now, do we know when the runoff will be held, uh, Mr. Brooks, or does the Electoral Commission still have to announce the date of uh, the uh, this runoff? Well, the, what is happening right now, up to now, Neha has not come out to announce the date of the, the run of election. But our rumor coming from the circle of the election commission is that uh, uh, the date may likely be after the season, that means after the Christmas. So many many people are speculating that runoff will be held after the Christmas. But what is puzzling a lot of people is that with the demand being put forth by some political party requesting the resolution of the commission, the chairman, I mean the chairman of the commission, is, is another problem that is creeping into this electoral process. That's Joel Brooks, who is a Liberian journalist on the line from Monrovia in Liberia, talking to Kumbero Monjarera. At least five armed separatists and two soldiers have been killed and several people wounded in the Cameroon-English-speaking southwestern town of Mamfe during an attack on a military post. The attack occurred after a special envoy of Nigeria's President Muhammadu Buhari assured his counterpart, President Paul Bia, that they want to work with Cameroon to get rid of terrorism on the frontiers. Cameroon has been complaining that armed separatists are using Nigerian territory as a training ground. Reports. Cameroon Communication Minister and Government Spokesman Isa Cheruma says hundreds of youths armed with guns, machetes, and spears attacked Cameroon's police unit in the English-speaking southwestern town of Mamfi. Cheruma says a policeman was killed and another wounded, while dozens of the attackers incurred severe injuries. Five terrorists were shot dead by the defined forces 
who retaliated to an attack led by nearly 200 attackers against the Manfe Gendarmerie barracks. It was the third such attack in Manfe and the neighboring town of Eumojok that the government says have killed at least seven soldiers and policemen and wounded several more. Residents report that at least 16 military men have been killed there. Eumojok is the hometown of Julius Ayuk Tabe, the man who says he is the first president of Ambazonia, the name given to the state the separatists say they have created. Julius Ayuk Tabe is based in neighboring Nigeria, where Cameroon Communication Minister Isa Chiruma says many fighters have been going for training. Over 10 young people traveling to Nigeria to be enrolled by terrorist gangs were arrested near the border. Shortly after, an individual recruiting agent for the armed wing of the secessionists was arrested near Mounfi and their weapons, weapon of war, seized. Lawan Abagashaga, Nigeria's High Commissioner to Cameroon and Special Envoy of President Mohamedou Buhari, visited Cameroon President Paul Bia and said they would collaborate in fighting the terrorists. Nigeria is not in any way supportive or encouraging the dissidents or successionists and we are going to tackle it accordingly. The relation between Nigeria and Cameroon is a long-standing one. We have come a long way and uh, we discuss the commitment of Nigeria to a peaceful and united Cameroon. And uh, not only that, it is uh, also Nigeria's position that we are very much concerned about a rise in armed violence, which does not augur well to any of us. And that uh, whatever differences or grievances that exist, the best option is peaceful means to resolve problem. That is through dialogue. The crisis in the English-speaking northwest and southwest regions of Cameroon began in November last year when lawyers and teachers called for a strike to stop what they believe is the overuse of the French language. Violence erupted when separatists started asking for complete independence. Schools have been closed in most of the English-speaking regions. On October 1st, the separatists declared the independence of what they called the Republic of Ambazonia and asked the military to surrender and join them or leave their territory. So far, at least 12 military and police have been killed in the two English-speaking regions. Paul Bia has always said he is not open for any negotiation on the form of the state and that Cameroon is one and indivisible. Separatist groups have on social media said they are only ready to dialogue with Bia on the terms of their separation. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundé, Cameroon. Attention to our listeners. From the 30th of October 2017, the first hour of Africa Digest will not be broadcast on Channel 802 on the DSTV audio bouquet. The 1700-hour show will only be found on shortwave and online on www.channelafrica.co.za. 
Please note that this only applies to the 1700 hours Central African Time show. The 1900 hours Central African Time program will be back on all the platforms. Channel Africa, giving you an African perspective. Thank you very much for staying with Africa Digest right here on Channel Africa, where we give you news from an African perspective. My name is Spumele Lezondi. A wave of anger against the United States' decision to recognize Jerusalem as Israel's capital has spread from Asia through the Middle East to North Africa, with tens of thousands of people taking to the streets to denounce the controversial move. Protesters filled central avenues and squares in a number of major international cities, waving the flag of Palestine and shouting slogans to express their solidarity with Palestinians who see East Jerusalem as the capital of their future state. U.S. President Donald Trump's announcement last week drew near universal condemnation from world leaders and inflamed the Palestinian-Israeli conflict with violence flaring up in the occupied Palestinian territories. For more on the aftermath of Trump's controversial decision, Channel Africa spoke to Samuel Soko, journalist based in Jerusalem. Surprisingly, the mood in Jerusalem is actually much more muted than it is in other countries. We've seen uh, large protests in Lebanon, in uh, Turkey. We've seen all over the Middle East, we've seen protests. In Israel itself and in the West Bank, uh, things have been much calmer. There were several days of protests. You had several thousand people out uh, throwing rocks, uh, Molotov cocktails, fighting between uh, Palestinians and Israeli soldiers. And, however, that really calmed down after the first couple of days. And you had a number of incidents. Hamas uh, shot a rocket from Gaza into the city of Sderot. Uh, Israelis launched airstrikes against Hamas uh, targets in response. There was a stabbing yesterday at Jerusalem Central Bus Station. A Palestinian stabbed a guard in the chest. But for the most part, honestly, things have begun to calm down. And I think this is, it's important to remember that the uh, people in charge, uh, Abu Mazen and his people from the uh, Palestinian Authority, especially those affiliated with the Fatah party, really have an interest at the moment in keeping things calm. The truth is, for all of the talk that you hear from Ramallah about reconciliation with Hamas, the two movements really are not very compatible. And Abbas knows that uh, he might not like it, but he understands that the reason he continues to stay in power in Ramallah is one, because of security cooperation with the Israelis, and two, because of backing from the international community, especially from the United States. So on one hand, there is a great deal of anger in the Arab street, but on the other hand, Things have come down rather fast. Now talk to us about why both Israelis and Palestinians claim the city as their political capital and why it matters when the United States takes sides here, Samuel. Uh, well, on the Israeli side, it would be because the city of Jerusalem was established as the capital of uh, a Jewish state, uh, the Jewish state of Judea, 3,000 years ago by a Jewish king. This was for, uh, for thousands of years was a Jewish capital of a Jewish state. Uh, after the uh, Roman conquest and the failed Bar Kokhba revolt, the most of the Jews were kicked out and Jewish uh, sovereignty ended. Uh, however, since then, Jews have looked back to Jerusalem, which was their capital, and said it will be our capital again. The Palestinians uh, look at Jerusalem as a holy city, as a, as a city with the Al-Aqsa Mosque, 
as the place where Mohammed stopped in one of his journeys, and they say, well, we live here, and this has to be our capital as well. Some are saying that uh, Trump's decision uh, means that uh, the United States can no longer be trusted to broker any uh, peace talks between uh, these two sides. Uh, Do you share this uh, sentiment, uh, Samuel? I'm not sure that I 100% do share that sentiment, to be honest, because, one, this is... Really, as I, as I think I pointed out, not something that particularly changes anything on the ground. Sure. It acknowledges realities on the ground. And two, again, what peace process? Uh, the peace process exists. It's a hollow shell. Nothing really happens. Talks don't occur. And there's really no peace process to speak of. So are they an honest broker? Mm-hmm. I think the Americans have shown that they are uh, reliable in uh in getting in the middle of the issue and helping to sort things out but this is one of those issues and i i don't think the israelis or the palestinians would want to hear this but this is one of those issues where at the end of the day nobody's going to get what they want that is samuel sokol an israeli journalist on the line from jerusalem talking to kumbero Mujarada. A new study conducted at the University Hospital Limerick in Ireland has found that younger men are now being diagnosed with prostate cancer. A team of Irish researchers at the hospital has reported that the average age at which this form of cancer is being diagnosed has dropped considerably in recent years from 71 to 63 in the last decade. According to the Cancer Association of South Africa, prostate cancer is one of the top five cancers affecting South African men. It is estimated that one in 23 South African men will develop prostate cancer in their lifetime. More from Dr. Francois Duvenage from the Pretoria Urology Hospital. I think it's most probably a bit of concerning factors there. I do think that we are looking more intently to diagnose prostate cancer early, and I think men are responding to that. So we instruct men to seek medical advice as far as your prostate is concerned from age 40. And also with increased awareness of the family history of prostate cancer, some men will also maybe present even earlier. So I think it's personally, I think it's more to do with increased awareness of prostate cancer, luckily, and men presenting earlier to be screened for prostate cancer. Do we know how common prostate cancer is, doctor? And why does it affect so many men? It's genetically one of the most common cancers. So genetically in Africa also it might even be more common, you know, than in the Caucasian European people. We know that from American studies which showed uh, increased incident African Americans. So genetically it's a very common cancer. We say that it's except for skin cancer, the most common cancer affecting men. And we do have reason to believe that it might even be more common in Africa because of, again, the genetics of the cancer. Is there anything that men can do to avoid this form of cancer? And what sort of checkups should they be doing? I think, first of all, in terms of checkups, I think we already alluded to the fact that we suggest that men go for a yearly checkup, which will entail a blood test, PSA blood test, and then digital rectal examination. Obviously, with urologists, other things will be checked as well. Symptoms pertaining to benign enlargement of the prostate and for other diseases as well. But coming back to the question about the prostate cancer yearly checkup, and then lifestyle issues to have a good balanced diet, lots of exercise, you know, avoiding overweight and also a diet not having too much animal proteins and fats. That is lifestyle issues that men can also do to avoid cancer and other diseases. Let's talk about some of the common treatments for prostate cancer. How is it treated? 
So we have now in South Africa the robotic prostatectomy, which is the state of the art in terms of surgical management. Our hospital, the urology hospital in Pretoria, was the first in Africa to obtain this technology, and more than a thousand of these procedures have been done. So this is the state of the art of surgical management. But as I always explain to patients, there are other options as well. A lot of the early grade cancers can actually be treated with active surveillance. So not all prostate cancers will require treatment. That is very important, especially in elderly men and men with low-grade cancers. You might be even put on a program of active surveillance. But if active treatment is indicated, then surgical options include the robotic prostatectomy, still the traditional open and laparoscopic radical prostatectomies, and then also radiation options like brachytherapy and external beam radiation is all the options that we will discuss with the patient as soon as he diagnoses prostate cancer. And just finally there, what do you think men should know most about prostate cancer? I think that, that first of all, the commonness of it and uh, how common it is in our population, that they know that they have to go for yearly checkups and that it can be cured. I think that's the most important thing, that they can be cured and they can sometimes even be treated without active treatment for some time as well. So as long as they go for the regular checkups and have a healthy lifestyle, they don't have something to fear. If the prostate cancer do occur, then it can still be cured. Dr. Francois Duvernay is from the Pretoria Urology Hospital in South Africa, talking to Elizabeth Ledecha. Hundreds of South Africans converged at the Union Buildings Gardens for the annual Nelson Mandela Remembrance Walk and Run. Participants from all walks of life marched through the streets of Pretoria in commemoration of the former South African president, Nelson Mandela. The event organizers say this year they met under the theme Deepening Democracy and Building the Inclusive Society. This year, the event saw struggle stalwarts like Sophie De Brain, advocates George Bezos, and Tokyo Sehwale attend alongside Gauteng Premier David Makura. Our reporter Tumelo Zulu attended the event and filed the following report. The gardens of the Union buildings where the office of the President's seat were packed with scores of people. The very gardens that played host to the first democratically elected government with Nelson Mandela at the helm. The young and old, black and white, all came to commemorate the life of the late Nobel Prize laureate. Struggle songs were the order of the day. The premier of Gauteng province, David Makura, says the march represented a recommitment by the people of the world to Nelson Mandela's legacy. So every year we bring people from across our province in their diversity, young and old, black and white, to join us here in this remembrance walk because as we do this, we are recommitting ourselves to that dream of Nelson Mandela, the dream of building a country which is truly non-racial, non-sexist, united, prosperous and truly democratic. We, we know we have come a long way from apartheid. But our society still has major challenges. Millions of our people are still unemployed. Many of them, young people, don't have the kind of access to education, including higher education, for the reasons that we know. Many of them's aspirations are still not met. Many of them are not participating meaningfully in the economy. So we recommit ourselves to that dream that as long as we live, 
we shall continue to strive to build that society in which everyone shall truly be included in that society. The MEC of Sports, Arts, Culture and Recreation, Ms. Faith Maziboko, says the route that the walkers took is a significant one and seems to raise a lot of emotions. And this walk is, it, we use the roots that were used by his cottage on the day he was lying in state here at the human building. So although we are not coming through Kosimampuru, but he came through Kosimampuru, went via Lilianungoi Square, into Madiba, into Nelson Mandela Road, up until to the Union building. So this walk is to remember him, and we are passing important heritage sites that his coffin on that day passed through. So that is the significance of this uh, event today. But what is important is that we have also included a run, a race this year. We are starting with a 10-kilometer race because there are those that say they don't only want to remember Mandela by simply walking, but they also want to remember Mandela by running the course. One of the things that were dear to Nelson Mandela were children. I took the opportunity to talk to some of the children who were attending the event dressed up in t-shirts with Nelson Mandela's face on the chest. This is what they had to say when they were asked about Nelson Mandela. I know Nelson Mandela was going, was in a jail. Then when she go out, then he go away, she left us. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, okay. Then what's your name? Ogamelang. Ogamelang who? By uh-huh. What do you know about Mandela? I know that Mandela was fighting for South Africans when there was still racism. How old are you? I'm nine years old. What are you doing here today? I'm walking. You're walking. How many kilometers are you going to be walking? Five kilometers. What's your name? Kutwani. So what do you know about Nelson Mandela? And he came out and he was better for everyone and left us. And left us. So where's Nelson Mandela now? He's dead. He's dead. He's dead. He's in heaven. He's in heaven. Okay. Participants to the event were entertained by various artists and were given aerobics lessons. A fit body translates to a fit nation. Reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Dumeluzu. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. Attention to our listeners. From the 30th of October 2017, the first hour of Africa Digest will not be broadcast on Channel 802 on the DSTV audio bouquet. The 1700-hours show will only be found on shortwave and online on www.channelafrica.co.za. Please note that this only applies to the 1700-hours Central African Time show. The 1900-hour Central African Time program will be back on all the platforms. 
Channel Africa, giving you an African perspective. Thank you very much for staying with Africa Digest. You can find us on Twitter. We are on Channel Africa One. Or you can send us emails. It's info at channelafrica.co.za. The World Health Organization, or WHO, has applauded South Africa for passing a bill to implement a tax on sugar-sweetened beverages, a move that will seek to reverse the alarming numbers of diabetes cases and other non-communicable diseases associated with obesity. South Africans are among the top 10 consumers of sugary drinks in the world and research has shown that drinking just one sugary fizzy drink a day increases one's chances of being overweight by 27% for adults and 55% for children. More from the World Health Organization's Dr. Leo Nerderfian. Dobeso would like to congratulate South Africa with this important step because obesity and diabetes is an increasing problem in South Africa and in many countries. And taxing sugary drinks has been identified by WSO as one of the effective interventions as part of a bigger package. And it has also been endorsed by the World Health Assembly in the document Best Buys and Other Effective Interventions to uh, reduce the non-communicable diseases, the chronic diseases, uh, mortality. Was there enough consultation with the different stakeholders, doctor, in the lead-up to passing this bill? Yes, there has been a, a lot of consultation with Parliament, the labor unions, employers, and South Africans in general in, in preparation of the tax. When is the sugary drinks tax scheduled to be implemented, and how much exactly will a regular can of soft drinks set someone back? Yes, the tax is planned to start in April 2018, and it's a tax according to the grams of uh, sugar. So the um, soft drinks with higher content of sugar will be taxed at a higher rate, which will also promote uh, reformulation by industry. And it is estimated that a regular can of soft drink will increase 11% in price. What other countries have introduced this tax, and has this move yielded some positive results in those countries? More and more countries are implementing those taxes. We have Finland, Hungary, France, Mexico, Tonga, several states in the United States, Barbados, Ecuador, Fiji, India. Just to name a few, it is a list of 30 countries and the list is becoming longer. In Mexico, where there's also very high consumption of sugary drinks, we see that a tax of 10%, more or less one peso per liter that was introduced in 2014, led to a reduction of consumption of 7.6% in the purchase of the tax sugary drinks, while there was an increase in consumption of untaxed beverages like bottled water. And what other interventions do you think should go together with the taxation on sugar-sweetened beverages to cap the threat of non-communicable diseases? Yes, of course, we need to have several interventions. It's not one intervention that can stop the rise in non-communicable diseases and overweight and obesity. So we recommend uh, PEGATS. This has also been recommended by the Commission on Ending Childhood Obesity. So apart from taxing sugary drinks, we recommend to restrict the marketing of unhealthy foods and alcoholic beverages to children. We recommend effective front-of-pack labeling so consumers can easily identify which foods are healthy and which foods are not healthy. Awareness campaigns, reductions or regulation of foods and drinks available in schools 
as well as subsidies on fruits and vegetables in general, the promotion of a healthy diet. And just before I let you go, are most countries on the right track in halting the rise of obesity and diabetes and of course reducing premature deaths from non-communicable diseases? Yes, unfortunately, overweight and obesity is the most complex thing to address because many countries and especially low and middle income countries there's a transition going on from the more healthy diets based on whole grains and uh, fruits and vegetables and staple foods to a diet which is uh, rich in processed food which has a lot of salt and sugars so this trend is going on in many countries and due to this overweight and obesity is increasing in many countries in particular in uh, low and middle income countries. High income countries in some settings, overweight and obesity is currently not increasing, but there it is already at very high rates. So it is really important to stop this trend at the beginning so that not more people in the world become overweight or obese. Very important risk factor for all the other non-communicable diseases. That's Dr. Leo Nederfian of the World Health Organization talking to Elizabeth Ledecha. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's international radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. Listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Nam, kwenye line ya simu, hivi sasa najiunga moja kwa moja. Farafina. Farafina. Terre du Soleil. Está na companhia do serviço em língua portuguesa do canal África, a voz de renascença africana que transmite a partir dos seus estudos centrais de Auckland Park, cidade de Johannesburg, África do Sul. Sochitika, mu África! Informing the world about Africa, Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Channel Africa has good news for you. We have extended our reach. If you have an iPad or iPhone, download the Channel Africa iOS app at itunes.apple.com. If you have a cell phone, then get our Android app at Google Store. Get the latest news from Africa. Get the Channel Africa app. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. The African continent is faced with a myriad of challenges when it comes to mapping out its developmental programs and projects. Most of the continent's pristine areas are threatened by pollution and contamination as a result of industrial activities to improve the lives of the people. Add to the just-ended United Nations Environment Assembly in the destruction of ecosystems by pollution was one of the highlights of the meeting. That is to bring together science, business and policy to address the challenge of pollution. Wandile Kalipa reports. The third United Nations Environment Assembly meeting ended on Wednesday in Nairobi, Kenya. During the conference, the president of the African Ministerial Conference on the Environment, Pakom Mubele Bubeya, spoke to the media about the hashtag pollution campaign, which was the theme of the conference. 
Africa is very much concerned with questions related to environment, to climate change. Why? Basically because we are the one continent suffering the most from the consequences of climate change and all the, whatever is wrong going with the environment. So I'll give you just an example. Uh, we were talking about plastic and His Excellency, uh, the President of Kenya, spoke about the Kenyan initiative on uh, banning uh, the import of plastic uh, here in Kenya. We can see that we in Africa, we consume plastic and the damages of plastic on our ecosystem is very, very big. And we can also see that the consequences with climate change due to the development uh, of uh, different gases by the West has a negative effects on us in Africa. Uh, we can see that climate change, which is basically whatever is linked with the increase of temperature, impacts us. We have impacts in uh, our forest. We have impacts with desertification of Africa. We have impacts uh, in our waters. We have impacts in the air we breathe. And so with this UNEA 3 conference that we have on pollution, we are in the center, we have to really act. But in order for us to act, we need the most of those who actually pollute to be aware that they are the ones also polluting the most. And they have to take also the responsibility in financing and into supporting as well developing countries such as the Africans one, African countries and island countries as well in order for us to fight not only pollution but to fight for maintaining the uh, ecosystem and biodiversity of our countries as it was. Talking about how ready is Africa to walk the talk on pollution in view of the contrasting realities of ecosystem pollution by all companies in Central Africa, Nigeria and Gabon in particular, Pakom Mubele Bubeya says... We have a big challenge. We have the challenge of developing our countries, of financing that development, of creating jobs and wealth for our countries. But we have a greater challenge even, that of making sure that in the uh, development strategies that we're taking, we are not going to be destroying our own countries because of the uh, exploitation of oil, for instance. So we have to be very aware of that and we have to adapt our development ambitions to what the reality is going to be tomorrow. If we do not do so, now that the West is making and taking every effort for them to align with what they believe tomorrow is going to be, if we do not do anything today, it means that tomorrow we will be once again 20 or 50 years late if we compare to the West. So we have the challenge. The challenge is to, as I was saying, create wealth, give jobs to our people. In the case of Nigeria and in the case of Gabon as well, you see that our population is very young. And if we foresee the increase in population, say, in Nigeria, we can see that within the next 20, 25, 50 years, the population of Nigeria is going to increase by something like 25 or 35 percent. And we need to adapt our global environment with the increase of population that we're going to have to make sure that we have the means and the wealth to take care of these people as well, but maintaining what we have the most permanent in our countries, which is our earth, our environment, and we have to do whatever we have to to protect. It means what? 
it means that uh, we have to take responsibility into speaking with oil companies as well. They have to take their responsibilities. And we cannot just accept to sacrifice our own future and the future of generations to come just on financial interest, which at times do not even impact on local populations as well. So we have to be very strong and we have to be bold in our attitude in order to make also our point towards what we have for Af- what we want Africa to be tomorrow. That was Pako Mubele Bubea, President of the African Ministerial Conference on the Environment, talking to members of the media at the just concluded United Nations Environment Assembly in Nairobi, Kenya. I'm Wandile Kalipa for Channel Africa in Nairobi, Kenya. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective. Guess what? You can now listen to Channel Africa using Silozi, Chinyanja, Kiswahili, Portuguese, French and English, giving you an African perspective. Hi, my name is Tandalunya Nzovo and you are listening to Channel Africa. We are Channel Africa from an African perspective. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. It is now time for economics. Yes, we're Salim Atabula. Thanks, Pumilele. Good evening. The government of Sudan has imposed a temporary import ban on selected foods and other items in an effort to protect its currency and narrow its budget deficit after the end of U.S. trade sanctions in October. The Sudanese pound has been weakening against the U.S. dollar since Washington lifted a 20-year economic embargo. The central bank holds the official exchange rate, but a low supply in formal channels have meant that their traders have had to rely on Sudan's black market for the dollars. The Johannesburg Stock Exchange has announced that Steinhoff's share price will not be suspended pending its investigation. The JSC has launched an investigation to determine if there have been any breaches of its listing requirements. In a, in a statement, uh, the JSC says Steinhoff has disclosed as much information as is able to regarding its current financial position pending the release of its 2017 audited financial results. The JSC says it recognizes the serious impact that the recent disclosures by Steinhoff has had on investors regarding accounting irregularities. Meanwhile, shares in Steinhoff have risen early in Johannesburg Delta. This uh, breaks three sessions of dramatic losses stemming from its discovery of accounting irregularities last week. A short while ago, the stock was up 25% at a 0.65 US dollars. Steinhoff shares plunged close to 90% last week amid an accounting scandal and a German probe into the matter. South Africa's uh, Minister in the Presidency, Jeff Khadebe, says government is uh, relieved uh, that about 2 million people will start to receive their social grants 
through their banks from next month. Beneficiaries will also be able to collect their payments from places including the post office. This comes after the Social Security Agency, SASA, and the South African Post Office reached an agreement regarding the administration of social grants payments. In March this year, the Constitutional Court ordered SASA and the Social Development Department to find an alternative service provider to cash paymasters services. Khadebe explains what the deal entails. For about 2 million beneficiaries who receive their grants through bank accounts, SASA has received the details of all these bank accounts and has confirmed them. And from the 1st January 2018, your grant will be paid directly into your bank account by SASA. And Canada's Fairfax Africa Investments will not proceed with a plan to buy 23% of cement producer PPC for $146.34 million US dollars. Last month, PPC's board said it had advised Fairfax that it will not be recommending the Canadian company's partial offer to shareholders. The takeover regulation panel had granted Fairfax an extension to post its partial offer circular up until December 12th. Fairfax offered to buy 23% of PPC in September for 38 American cents per share on condition that it was approved by shareholders in order to allow a measure with South African rival cement maker Afrisum. A look at your financial indicators. The dollar at 13.63 South African rents. 10.19 Botswana Pula and 10.22 Zambian Guacha also trading at 74 pence to the British pound and 84 cents against the euro. Commodities gold is at $1,250, platinum at $889 per fine ounce, Brent crude oil $63.26 per barrel. And that's your economics news for now. Thank you very much for signing Sun for Sports News. Here's Mosi Makura. Good evening, sports fans, and starting off with football news, the last 16 UEFA Champions League draw has been conducted at the UEFA House in Switzerland. Juventus are up against Tottenham Hotspur. Manchester City will face off with FC Basel. Porto is up against Liverpool. Seville will play Manchester United. Real Madrid is up against Paris Saint-Germain. Shakhtar will face AS Roma. Chelsea have a date with Barcelona, while Bayern Munich is up against Besiktas. Here is Pedro Pinto who conducted the draw. While I was watching, also following the reaction on social media, I can tell one of the words used was wow and a lot. Some amazing matches to look forward to as we see the defending champions Real Madrid taking on Paris Saint-Germain, defending Europa League uh, winners Manchester United, also with a, a tough match against uh, Sevilla, Chelsea, Barcelona. Every one of these matches is top of the top and that's what you expect on the best club competition on the planet. If you're already marking your calendars, I can tell you that the first legs are on the 13th and 14th of February with uh, also staggered across the next week, 20th and 21st. The return legs are on the 6th and 7th of March and on the 13th and 14th of March as well. That's all from us. We wish you all a very happy Christmas and a fantastic new year in football. Thank you. 
Now, the National Olympic Committee of Kenya has formed a marketing commission that will manage the organization's financial accounts in a bid to curb the misappropriation of funds. The six-member commission that was officially unveiled by the NOC chairman, uh, Paul Target, will be chaired by Mohamed Nayago, the chairman of the board of directors of the Central Bank of Kenya. Here is Paul Target, who has more details. Maybe for the commission itself, I want to assure them that any funds that will come to us, we are going to make sure that they will be part and parcel of managing that account for the better and good of our sportsmen and women of this country. On to Rugby News, the Springboks 2018 Rugby Championship home fixtures have been confirmed with matches scheduled for Durban, Port Elizabeth and Pretoria in the 22nd edition of the Southern Hemisphere Championship. Now Australia will appear in Port Elizabeth for the first time in more than half a century when they take on the Springboks in the Eastern Cape on the 29th of September, while the All Blacks of New Zealand return to Pretoria for the first time in more than a decade when they play at Loftus Fashfield on the 6th of October. Meanwhile, Argentina will have a happier, uh, will have more happier memories for their return trip to Kings Park in Durban. On their last visit back in 2015, they recorded their first victory over South Africa. And finally, the Argentina 2018 modern. Pentathlon Youth Olympic Games qualifiers as well as the Senior African Championships ended in Lagos, Nigeria at the weekend with South Africa topping the medal table with three gold, three silver as well as one bronze medal. Now, President of Pentathlon South Africa, Peter Oestesen, was pleased with the results of the athletes. It means a lot to us. We did a lot of preparation and we are very happy to come out of this with uh, two spots for, for the Youth Olympic Games uh, next year. Um, in the same, same sentence, I want to thank the Nigerian people, the uh, National Olympic Committee the, and the Ministry of Sports for their part in actually hosting this and the LOC that did a tremendous, a tremendous job and actually received this year. We've had... Uh, um, the Nigerian, all the Nigerian people were great to us. We uh, experienced uh, a lot of hospitality and we would very much like to come here again and we therefore extend a, a request to them to please come and uh, stay with us in South Africa. The Zion Sports News at the Sun. Stay tuned to Channel Africa for more news from an African perspective. This is Africa Digest. Let us recap part of stories. A Liberian clears the way for a runoff. A Liberian court clears the way for a runoff presidential election to be held. A wave of anger against the United States' decision to recognize Jerusalem as Israel's capital continues to spread. And that wraps up Africa Digest. For myself, Spumelele Zondi, producer Luanda Mahomet, technical producer Revelina Ibrahim, and the rest of the team. Thank you very much for listening.